Welcome to The Web We Weave, a podcast created by us, students in David Morgan's new media writing class at Emory University. Each week this semester, we will explore the emerging set of protocols and cultural practices that have evolved around new technologies. How big is this new media universe? What are its limits? Who participates in it and why? How does it spread, converge, and form and obscure? And is it really all that different from the old media that has been tossed aside? In this postmodern, post-structuralist, post-truth period, many critics have resisted grand narratives or stable definitions in response to such questions. So each week, we will examine one publication that seems to be doing something interesting. Over the course of these 16 episodes, we hope to untangle the narratives a bit and decide where we are now. Hi, welcome to The Web We Weave. I'm Daniel. And I'm Kevin. And today we'll be talking about Every Frame of Painting, a video essay series that dissects the different components of the film genre using different movies as examples. This series is created by Tony Zhao, freelance video editor who um, talks a lot about uh, different movies and kind of offers unique analysis about what he thinks and, and how, he, how he perceives you know, the creation of these different films. And in this next clip, we're going to hear about how he created this series and, and what his vision is for it a little bit. Hi, my name is Tony, and this is Every Frame of Painting, where I analyze film form. There's actually a lot of great videos on the internet analyzing movie content or themes, but I think we're missing stuff about the actual form. You know, the pictures and the sound. So, we can see that Zhao is seeking to fill a gap in the new media resources concerning film analysis, specifically looking into the forms and the techniques of the genre rather than the theme and the content of the films themselves. Yeah, there's definitely sort of an educational theme behind what he's doing. He's not just sort of rating them or giving some sort of like personal opinion. He's taking a very sort of uh, what I'll call like a lecture approach to it in a way and the way that he analyzes and looks at different clips. Exactly. And the way the clip sort of shows this is that it talks about how most YouTube videos take apart the plot and the themes of the film. This is much more like a sort of Khan Academy tutorial style series where it talks about the different filming techniques and the different cameras that go into making the movies that we see today. Yeah, and it's probably pretty important that he kind of, you know, starting out explains the niche that he's aiming for, you know? Exactly. Because if you watch one of his YouTube videos, you can see on the list of suggested on the right, there's all sorts of other video bloggers who have lots of film analysis, um, video blogs and stuff like this. So it's not, it's not a totally unheard of phenomenon will say that Tony Tony is trying to to reach but he's hoping to place himself apart from these other bloggers that might be saying or approaching the films in a different way. Yeah, you make a good point Kevin and it's interesting to see how Zhao actually perpetuates the participatory culture of the internet in his interactions with his fans. For example, there's this quote from a Reddit AMA he did about 2 years ago where he tries to teach a user on how to actually create an analysis and it's quite interesting. You take a class on script analysis, you learn how the director breaks down the script, and then you get the hands on, your hands on the script yourself, you pick the scene, and after you guess what the, how the director would shoot it, you watch the actual way he shot it. And then you watch it with an audience, and you watch their reactions to see how the directors executed what they did and to see what they did well. 
Uh, when do they lean in? When do they cross their arms? When do they laugh? Is it all at the same place that you laughed? So with this Reddit um, page, it's interesting what Zhao is, is looking for because he's really making himself very accessible to his audience. That's one thing that you get in a lot of YouTube videos where you have um, a video blogger who frequently, um, they're the, the focus of the video blog, right? The, the camera is on them and they speak into the camera. But his, his videos are a lot different in terms of him mostly showing clips and speaking in the background. He's more a narrator showing us evidence as the video goes along. So it sort of takes him out of the equation in a, a little bit in that way. But he pays very special attention to, you know, saying, this is a creation by, you know, Tony, like, this is who I am. And then you have these sort of Reddit forums where he can come in and really interact with the audience, um, answer questions about himself, make him really the focus of it rather than just some, you know, just anybody who's narrating his videos. Yeah, absolutely. And um, when you look at his Twitter, especially, he doesn't post any personal photos that when it's mainly a lot of film technique stuff, but it's really imbued with a lot more of his own personal voice and flavor, and his interactions with his fans are almost sort of, I'd say, loving, and just sort of caring about what they do. And that's actually a good place to jump into how he crosses different platforms, because he's on Vimeo, and he's on Patreon. And Patreon itself is actually quite interesting, because it allows you a more intimate relationship with the people that support you, you know, and, um, it feels like more of a crowdsourcing site in a way, almost. Exactly. Like your, your fan, if, if you want to call them his fans are really contributing to the projects that he's making, helping them happen. Right. And, um, Patreon is the place where, you know, he could figure out new topics to cover that would be in his niche that people in his niche are interested in learning more about. And it allows them more personal interactions as he posts bonus features and different educational versions that are offered through different benefits. Yeah. And with every frame of painting, you know, um, he's really almost aiming more for like an episodic sort of pro project rather than simply random videos here and there. He's not a video blogger. This is definitely a series, you know? Exactly. Um, and I think that helps encourage sub subscribers because if you know that this is this is the focus and each episode is going to fall within this niche, it encourages people who have an interest there to say, oh, I'm going to want to watch these future videos rather than if you don't really know what the focus is. Maybe if it's just a random comedy blog, you know, you might not be interested in what this blogger is talking about episode to episode. But with him, it's really something that encourages subscription. I also thought it was really interesting with the Twitter page that you have his YouTube and his um, his Patreon accounts are, of course, called Every Frame of Painting, which is you know giving you a really distinct idea of this is this is the show in a way. But he makes himself personally accessible with like his Twitter and his Facebook where it's not, his Twitter account isn't, you know, at every frame of painting, it's at Tony Saud. Um, and so it sort of distinguishes between himself and the series, and it makes him more of a personality that's more accessible. And I think Patreon kind of plays into that, where you have him seeming more like this everyday guy, right? He's not just a celebrity or some expert, per se. He's... He's a creator that's, that needs help, that needs support, that wants um, 
wants a following to to push him forward, right? And so I think making him a more relatable, more personal figure through like his Twitter and his Facebook contributes to encouraging other people to say, oh, this is a person that I really, I really, I like what they're doing, I can relate to them, and I want to see more of what they're doing. Exactly, and it's an interesting, I think, intersection between old media and new media, because as you said, every frame of painting is much more like a series, and that's in fact what the Internet Movie Database labels every frame of painting mm-hmm. as. It's labeled as a TV miniseries yeah. rather than an actual sort of YouTube web video thing. And the fact that Tony Zhao himself is labeled as Tony Zhao on Twitter rather than, say, every frame of painting makes him really a lot like some of the personalities and the celebrities from the mainstream media. It's He's a person rather than, or an entity rather than just you know, the voice or the disembodied teacher of mm-hmm. every friend of painting, like Salman Khan, might be considered as, you know, going back to that Khan Academy metaphor. And and it's really fascinating that Tony Zhao is a YouTuber. I know he doesn't label himself as such. He still calls himself a freelance editor because every frame of painting doesn't actually make him a living. But it's interesting to see how he's a part of a crowd on YouTube that's slowly turning the platform into much more of a professional intersection between old media and new media. Yeah, he uh, takes on much more of a, as you said, a professional vibe with the way that he produces these videos. Um, We were were talking a little bit earlier about how um, YouTube has sort of this maybe a lack of professional connotation to it in the way that I think of a YouTuber as someone who just films in their house, you know, or does videos in, um, their garage. On, on, in the garage or on a whim kind of, whereas his are very well thought out. Um, they're, they're serious productions, you know. I think I think of his videos and the content that he's producing as a production, which sort of has this, this more professional um, professional aspect to it. And I think that contributes in a way to that cross between the sorts of media outlets that he's using. He, he doesn't list himself as a YouTuber, you know, he's this editor, quote-unquote. And the way that his videos come up on YouTube, it's almost like an interplay between YouTube and television in the way that his, his video blog series is much more like a television series in the way that it's very focused and very um, professionally made, yet he's definitely a YouTuber, right? You know, he's he's someone you subscribe to on YouTube, and so he's using this platform to kind of create content that feels more like television, but then allows for much more participation amongst viewers and his audience. Exactly, and with um, recent developments in technology, like this just came out, uh, YouTube TV is a new service where you're apparently allowed to both watch the mainstream television networks and once an episode is over, you have the option of choosing a related YouTube video or mm. a different um, online video on the subject. Yeah. And it's interesting to see how there's a response by the old media and acknowledgement of how YouTube is changing. And it's interesting to see the interplay and the dialogue that it sort of creates between the new media users of the internet and the old media creators. You kind of wonder if the inception of smart TVs had a play in that, and that all of a sudden YouTube was an app, an application on your television that you could watch. And so 
I kind of took it from something that you sit at the desktop and and spend you know more time than you should watching, and it took it to something that's on your TV, and so it sort of bridged the gap between the two all of a sudden, and I think maybe that contributes to this change in the way that we're viewing what YouTube is and what YouTubers are capable of. So I'd also like to talk a little bit about why you think he's garnered the following that he has, because personally, it's my belief that because he expounds on topics that everyone loves, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how the music in their movies is forgettable because the scenes don't need them. Um, I think that the fact that he's covering a familiar topic allows him to garner attention for some commentary that not many people have really considered before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think there's probably a couple factors, um, and who knows which is more important or which has really been, which is really keyed in, but I, he has a few things going for him. One is definitely that choice of which movies he analyzes, right? You know, when you first go to the page, my initial inclination is to look at, oh, which movies has he analyzed or which, which clips talk about movies that I've seen, right? Because that's what I want to see. I want to be like, oh, I want to, what, what did he think about this that I might not have? And then with that, I think he does a really great job of, one, being clear in what he's saying and making it very simple. I'm not a film major. I, I've watched a lot of movies, but I'm not a film major, so I'm not like big on technical terminology, probably. Um, but he makes it very simple to understand, and he reveals things in a way that sort of have a little, like, aha moment a little bit, right? Um, I'm thinking about uh, the movie where he talks about framing, I think is how he calls it, and he talks about drive. He basically talks about how there's, like, quarters divides the screen into quarters in the way that you can have different action going on in each quarter of the of the screen, right? Exactly. Um, and that's something that I had never thought about, but as soon as he was showing it, it made it so clear. I was like, wow, like this is really, really interesting. And there's sort of a, a learning that goes on for me that I can say, whoa, like this is seeing this in a whole different way. So I really, it, I think it garners for me, at least my experience, um, it garners a respect for, for him and what he's able to see and the way he's able to look at it. And also um, an interest in, like, it draws me in. Like, oh, that's, that's interesting. What else does he see that I haven't? Um, and I think that's why that Marvel video has gotten so popular because he did a video on the Marvel Symphonic Universe, right? right. And he kind of talks about how different film series have really relatable and memorable music, but Marvel doesn't quite as much, right? You ask someone, like, what's a Marvel song? And no one could tell him. No one was like, uh, I don't really know any songs from Marvel. And as soon as you hear that, you're like, yeah, that's right. You know, I never thought about this, but I can't think of anything either, right? <laughs> um, and so immediately you're drawn in, and he uses that kind of like that Khan Academy-esque teaching to really help engage the viewer and get keeps me interested in what he's saying. Exactly, and he has that real informed critical charisma about him. Mm -hmm. And his unique insight into things like visual comedy, for example. I didn't even realize this, but um, most American comedy movies have very static shots and um, static improv on one shot where it's about the character just going and going and going. Mm -hmm. While in other more international films, they focus more on the visual comedy of everything. They seek to find a unique shot for every single thing, and it talks about, and it speaks to the statements in American comedy films. And that was something that I hadn't even considered, the uh, potential for humor in a visual shot without even saying a word.
the way you could convey it through an action. That was something that amazed me personally. I think he takes something that a lot of people love, a lot of people really feel passionate about in movies, right? Right. This is, this is something that almost everybody loves in movies, so it's not many people like, uh, whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so he takes something that a lot of people care about, and then he adds to it. He adds, like, another layer to, to the experience. Um, he, like, in a way, I was watching, and I was, he has, like, little clips every once in a while in the videos, so I was like, he's really benefiting, like, if these movies didn't exist, you know, he doesn't have a career, which is, or, well, he doesn't have this that he can do, not right. necessarily a career. Um, and that seems obvious, but at the same time, like, it's the fact that when I'm watching the movie that I've, I love this scene, you know, the fact that I, I can relate and I, I have a, uh, an emotional response to a clip that he's showing, that's what really draws me into his video, right? He uses exactly. those so well, um, and that's, that's a big part of why, like, I think he's, he's so successful. And it's amazing that he manages to maintain that success across so many platforms, because as we mentioned before, while YouTube is his primary platform, he's also on Vimeo, he's on Twitter, he's on um, Patreon, and it's interesting to see the advantages and the disadvantages of being on so many platforms at once, because while you have a monopoly by, say, maybe sticking solely to YouTube, the fact that you gain so much exposure from going all over the internet to different sites is a sort of give and take, I think. Yeah, and I feel like you can see this in a lot of different um, popular content today in the way that people focus on really trying to branch out and cover all the bases in a way with social media. Um, and he's doing a similar thing here. We talked about, of course, he has this Twitter, but even his videos with posting them on Patreon and YouTube, he gets... He gets viewership on both, and he gets he can get revenue from both, but he also loses a little bit of the network effect, right? Because the views that he's getting on one site can take away from the views he could be getting on YouTube, and so if you're getting more, like the more views, the more likely other people are going to watch it, right? So you kind of take yeah. away from that advantage. Um, so I guess taking away from the advantage is also a disadvantage, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, AKA a disadvantage. Right. Um, and so he sacrifices that a little bit in order to expand his, his scope in terms of where and how you can find his content online. Exactly. It's quite the paradox he's woven himself. Mm -hmm. And I'm afraid that's all the time we have for today. Uh, thank you so much for tuning into The Web We Weave, and we'll hope that you'll tune in next week. I'm Daniel. I'm Kevin. And we will see you next time. See you all later. See you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you to Professor David Morgan, our executive producer, for his advice and help. Thank you to Shemina Fish for being our line producer. And thank you for listening.